Galatians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 22. Uh, as you're turning there, I want to once again thank Sue uh, for, for being with us this afternoon and, and leading us in, in singing. Um, I should add that she and Mark have both heard this sermon already today in Brentford, and they still came this afternoon. So that's a, that's a positive sign. Um, Galatians 3, uh, it can be found on page 914 of your, your church Bibles, by the way. Uh, Galatians 3, verses 15 through 22. And this is God's word. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean, the law, which came, which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promise, promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Amen, the grass withers and the flowers fade. But the word of God stands forevermore. Now, we all have things that we, we want to believe in, don't we? Uh, some of us want to believe that if we, we buy that, that lottery ticket, then we have a chance at winning incredible riches. What we forget is that we, we actually have a better chance of getting struck by lightning. Some of us like to believe that, that the government uses our tax monies efficiently, don't we? But actually, most of us have probably given up on that one by now. Uh, most of us want to believe that our kids are, are special and they can do anything that they set their minds to. And, well, uh, maybe mine can. Uh, there's lots of things we, we want to believe in, don't we? But the, 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 the truth is that when, when the evidence is stacked against those beliefs, then we, we're stuck, aren't we? We're either going to be left disappointed or we're going to have to double down and, and keep, keep singing that, that ancient anthem from the band Journey, Don't Stop Believing. I guess another way of saying it is we're, we're either disappointed or we, we have to be oblivious, right? And Paul over the last few weeks has been saying to the church in Galatia that they have a, a belief that will ultimately, ultimately leave them disappointed. But right now they're still in the stage of oblivious. The Galatian church wanted to believe that, that they could add to their salvation, that they could, they could uh, uh, add to their righteousness before God through keeping the law. They've been told by false teachers that, that Christianity is essentially a set of rules that you have to follow in order to win God's affection. And Paul is adamant that, that this is not the case. And in fact, he is arguing now that, that there's a clear uh, biblical evidence that this belief is untrue. See, Paul argues today that if the Galatian church, and if our church today here at Hammersmith, understood God's word, then we, we should simply love and trust Jesus for our salvation. The works will follow, but they don't add anything to God's love for us. 
See, there's a, a key difference there. And Paul says uh, that the salvation begins and ends with God's action towards us, his people. And I want to trace Paul's argument today uh, in two points, just two uh, this afternoon. The difference between law, between a law and a promise, and how the law drives us to the promise. So first of all, the difference between a law and a promise. And, and there, this is a great passage uh, this afternoon, at least for me as a preacher, because Paul uses an illustration here, which means I had to think of one fewer one this week. So here in verse 15, Paul says that if you, if, if you make a covenant, in this case, Paul uses the word for uh, a last will and testament. If you, if you make this, this legally binding contract, a covenant, then you can't change that later without uh, annulling the whole thing. Here's what he's getting at. Let's say you have uh, a rich Aunt Gertrude. And she's getting on in years, and, and she has no children of her own. And so rich Aunt Gertrude uh, comes to you, and she promises you that she's going to leave everything she owns to you. And she puts it in writing. She draws up a will. She sends it off to the solicitors who, who sign off on it. They put their seals on it. It's all legally set down. Aunt, Auntie Gertrude's uh, uh, fortune will be yours when she dies. Now, let's say a couple of weeks later, Auntie Gertrude uh, then comes to you and says, I've left everything to you, but if you want it, then you have to take care of me in my old age. Well, that's no longer a free promise, is it? It's a, it's a promise based on condition. She could have written it in her, her will that you had to, in order to obtain her riches, you had to take care of her in her old age, but she didn't do that. She simply made you a promise. And so to, to change that, she would have to, to go back and, and change that whole will. She'd have to change the whole promise. Now, you may, in fact, love your Auntie Gertrude. There could be any number of reasons why you may decide you want to look after her in, in her old age. Maybe it's, it's because that's actually the good and right thing to do for someone who you care about. But you aren't necessarily obligated to do that in order to receive the promise. See, that's the key difference between a law and a promise. The law says you have to do A in order to receive B. Whereas the promise says you receive B because someone has obligated themselves to deliver on that promise. All you have to do is receive it. When rich Auntie Gertrude dies, all you have to do is turn up at the solicitor's office, sign some paperwork, and all of her riches are yours. See, Paul says that's, that's the gospel. The gospel is a promise, and it's always been that way. He points us uh, once again back to the Old Testament book of Genesis and to Abraham. Uh, and we've we looked at Abraham a little bit uh, in previous weeks. But if you're not that familiar with Abraham, uh, he's an important figure in the history of God's people. He was a nomad who God called uh, and made a promise to. And that's pretty much why he's important. Abraham really didn't do anything. God chose Abraham. He called him uh, to go out to a distant country. And he promised Abraham that, that he would father a nation that would be a blessing to the world. And Paul actually underlines that fact here in these verses. God promised Abraham that salvation would come through, through his offspring. And Paul says that offspring is singular and not plural. Meaning, meaning that one member of Abraham's family in particular would be that blessing that blessing of salvation to all the nations of the world. He says that one is Jesus Christ. And the point is a simple one. Salvation is, is written into the, the history and fabric of our world. 
It stretches all the way back to, to Abraham. What did Abraham receive? He, he received a promise. And that's, that was it. He received a promise. Paul says that the law came 143 years later. But Abraham was still saved through the promise. He, Abraham received a promise. He believed God, and God counted that to him as his righteousness. And Paul says that's the very heart of the gospel. Did the promise impact on how Abraham behaved towards God? Well, yes, absolutely it did. Abraham believed and he also obeyed, not because, not because he had a set of rules laid out for him, but because his heart was joined to God's. He wanted to be obedient to this God because God had shown his love to Abraham. And that, in fact, is the heart of the gospel. God sets his love upon you and I. And as his people, we, we in turn look to God for our help and our hope to serve him with joyful hearts because we aren't his slaves, we're his children. Paul says that Jesus is, is the promised offspring of Abraham who would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. That he came to save sinners like you and I. And he came to restore us to the, a right relationship with God so that we can have uh, an inheritance through Christ. See, the Galatians' problem and our problem is that we want to use the law for something it was never intended to do. We want, to make it, we want it to make us righteous before God, but that was, never, that was never the intention of the law. That was never its purpose. To try and make ourselves righteous by, by keeping the law doesn't get us any closer to God. In fact, it, it pushes us further from him because it's, it negates the promise of God to us. See, what we're talking about is, is what's called free grace. You can't earn it. God offers it to you through, through the blood of his son. And all you can do is receive that grace through faith. When we, um, when we lived in the U.S., uh, there was a place called Rita's Italian Ice. And it's this, this uh, amazing custard that's mixed with this sugary, slushed ice thing. And, and it's, it's impossible to describe. You just have to experience, experience it. But every year, Rita's would, would have their free Italian ice day. And on this day, they would give out their product to anyone who turned up. It was completely free, and it was easily the best day of the year. People would turn, queue down the streets for their free sugary ice dessert. And the thing is, on, on free ice day, you know, they wouldn't take the menus down. You, you could still see how much your, your free ice cost. But only an idiot would walk up on free ice day and, and try to pay. It's free. All you have to do is receive it. See, what Paul's saying to the Galatians is they're, they're ruining free ice day. They're destroying the very, the very heart of, of the gospel with the additional rules that they've taken on. They're avoiding the good promises of God that go all the way back to Abraham and have been fulfilled in Christ by trying to justify themselves. But then Paul asks, asks the question that's probably on all of our minds. Well, but what about the law? What's the point of the law that was given 430 years later if, if it wasn't to negate the promise? What's, what's the point of it? Well, we see the answer here in our, our second point this, this afternoon, how the law drives us to the promise. Let's look down at verses 21 and 22 again. Uh, I think they, they're actually the key in helping us understand verses 19 and 20. Uh, is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. 
For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, we're told here, and and actually uh, we're told in a slightly different way back in verses 19 and 20, that the law of God doesn't, doesn't negate the promise. And it doesn't add to the promise. Rather, it's meant to drive us to the promise. And Paul explains exactly how this works. He says that, that scripture, the law, imprisoned us under sin. And how do we know something is, is sinful? Well, well, the law tells us. Paul actually talks about in, in another, uh, another letter he wrote to the, to the church in Rome. He says, how do I, how do I know what coveting was until, unless, unless I was told by the law not to covet? The law tells us this stuff, doesn't it? The law tells us that we aren't good enough. And that's the point of it. It reveals to us who we really are. I've said it before, it's like holding up a mirror to us. Paul says we're like prisoners, locked up and unable to get out. We're constantly being reminded of our brokenness and our sinfulness by the the bars of the law that surround us. And that's the very point of it. The point of all the rules is to make us see that, that we're prisoners to our own hearts, that we aren't who God created us to be, and that we don't enjoy the relationship to him that, that we were meant to have. That our sins placed us in this prison of our, of our own making. And Paul is saying that if, if we didn't have the law, we wouldn't be able to, to begin to grasp just how far from the holiness of God we are. That if we didn't have the law, we, wouldn't, we would struggle to understand the reason for the promise and the importance of it. Unless we were given this law that we couldn't keep. See, that's what the law is. Verse 21, if a, if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. Paul's saying to the Galatians and to us, we're, we're trying to get the law to do something it, it could never do. Something it was never intended to do. It was never meant to make us righteous before God. It was always intended to, to show us just how unrighteous we are. The law was added because of transgressions. It was added to show us that, that we're transgressors, that we're sinners. So then is the law a bad thing? Is the law a bad thing? Absolutely not. Just because the law can't make us righteous, that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. The law, when understood properly, actually reveals the love of God towards, towards his people. How does it do that? Two ways. First of all, by acting as a divine intervention in our lives. The law acts as a divine intervention in our lives. You've, you've all probably heard of an intervention, haven't you? Uh, maybe you've seen uh, shows where, where one is portrayed on television, where someone's doing something that's bad for them and, and, and is often bad for others. Oftentimes it'll be uh, if someone's drinking too much, uh, their family and their friends will get together and they'll, they'll have this intervention where they, they sit the person down and they, they tell them exactly what they, they're doing wrong. And they tell them how what they're doing wrong is impacting uh, not only themselves, but, but their friends and their family all around them. It's a painful thing for, for people to go through. But when it's done properly, it's done out of love for the person who's being put through it. It's done not to hurt them, but it's done to try and, and get their attention and to help them 
to be made well. And see, the law of God is, is a divine intervention in our lives. In it, we hear what we've done and how it has impacted on our relationship with God and with others. We, we, heard, we heard the words of Jesus earlier when he said the, the, whole, the whole of the law can be summarized in two commands. To love the Lord our God with all our, our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And in breaking the law, we're, we're, we're harming our relationship with God our Father. And the fact is, he, he could have left us to it, couldn't he? He could have just let us, let us go on about our own way, on a road to destruction, to punishment for our sins. But the law is gracious and loving in that it reveals to us our true selves. It reveals to us the danger of our condition. And then it, secondly, the law drives us to Christ. Look at the end of verse 22 again. What's the purpose of the law? That the, the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, the law is good because it shows us the, the power of the promise. That promise that was made to Abraham so long ago that has been fulfilled in Christ. That promise that has the power to set us free from, from the, the, the tyranny of the, the law and from our guilt. It sets those free who, who have trusted in Christ Jesus. Isn't that what we all really want? You know, Paul says we're all prisoners to sin. What does a, what does a prisoner long for? He longs to be set free. What do we long for as people imprisoned by sin and facing death? We should, we should long to be free. That's the point of all this letter. That Jesus has set us free from sin and from the curse of the law. We've all tried the law, haven't we? We've all tried the law and found it wanting. We've tried being nice to people. You know, we've tried being generous to charities. We've tried doing good works and good deeds. We've tried reading the Bible enough. We've tried praying enough. We've tried going to church enough. But whatever we do, we can't seem to be free, can we? Paul says the reason is because we haven't looked to Jesus. Rather, we've, we've tried to use the law for the wrong thing. See, we want the law to make us holy. But the law was never intended to do that. The law can only show us how unholy we are. We need someone outside of ourselves to make us holy. And the wonder of the love of God is that he promised Abraham that he would make him holy and righteous. And the wonder of the love of God in Christ is that in Christ we see the promise to Abraham fulfilled. We see our sin paid for and we're, we're set free from our bondage to the law through faith. I suppose the, the question this brings us to is, is, what's the point of all that for me? How does this actually change my life? Isn't there still some, some obligation to be obedient to, the, to God's law? After all, uh, we, we confessed our sin earlier when we, when we confessed together the way we'd broken God's law over the last week. So what's the point of, of that if we're, if we're actually free from the law? Well, I want to give us two ways that, that Christ sets us free. First of all, he, he frees our motives. He frees our motives. Tim Keller gives an example of, uh, what if you had a, a, a habit of lying? Let's say you just, not even necessarily lying about everything, but just lying about the stuff you think you can get away with. And maybe little things. And you know it's wrong to lie. 
And most people in this world agree that that lying is wrong. But we also know it's wrong to lie because, because we're told by, in God's law, in the Ten Commandments, not to, to bear false witness. So how do you go about stopping no longer lying? How do you stop this habit? Well, the moralistic way to do it is, is to, to be, first of all, maybe to be motivated by fear. I need to stop lying, otherwise God is going to, to punish me for it. Or maybe I'm going to get caught and, and, and my parents are going uh, uh, to send me to, to time out or, or take away uh, something that I enjoy. Or, or my boss at work is going to catch me and then I'm going to be in, get written up or, or get something in my file at work. You know, we're, 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 we're afraid of the consequences. That's the more, first way, the, the fear factor. But the other way that, that we could be motivated is, is by pride which says, I'm, I'm better than this. You know, I'm, I'm a churchgoer, or I'm just a, a, a really moral person, a person who has high standards. It's, it's kind of like when you hear the celebrity apologizing for something they've said or done. You know, they, they always say, uh, that wasn't really me. I'm better than this. I'm going to try better, harder uh, in the future. And both of these, both of these motivations, the, the moralistic and the pride, are, are really the... Just do it. I'm going to pull myself up by the bootstraps and I'm just going to do it. And that's exactly what, what slavery to the law looks like. But the gospel calls us to actually stop and ask ourselves, why am I lying in a particular situation? Often it's because there, there's something we desperately want. Something that we've, we've told ourselves we just have to get. And the gospel says that, that in breaking the, the commandment against lying, we're, we're actually we're, we're breaking the first commandment against idolatry. We're making something greater than, than God, uh, more important than God in our lives. And what we need to do is to, to look for, to Jesus for our worth, and to look to Jesus for our meaning, and to look to Jesus for our happiness, and then to repent of our lying and, and of our idolatry. See, the gospel frees our, our motivations in, in this world and in this life. We're free to trust and follow Jesus. He frees us to be obedient out of a heart that's in relationship to Christ rather than a heart that's trying to earn that relationship. That's a big difference. See, what we're talking about here is, is the difference between uh, a guy who, who buys a girl flowers because she's his wife Versus the person who, who buys a girl flowers because he's trying to woo her. You know, the act is the same. The motivation is very, very different, isn't it? You know, the first one is acting uh, freely out of a relationship that's, that's established. It's, it's been established in a promise. A sacred bond, a sacred vow was taken. And there's a real security in that. So that guy, you know, I, I don't have to buy my wife flowers ever. But sometimes I do, because I love her. The other guy, the second guy, is buying flowers because he's desperate to win the affections of the other person. He's hoping that maybe one day he'll, he'll possibly earn that security of, of a marriage. But he's, he's buying flowers because, because he has to. You know? and, and then he's probably buying dinner as well, because he has to. He's got to impress this person. That's the law. See, that's what we're talking about. 
the gospel frees our motivations. It frees us just to love Jesus and to be obedient because we actually see the value of his value and his worth and we see what he's done for us. And it's so wonderful and it's so beautiful that we, we just can't help but, but live and serve him. The second way that, that the gospel frees us is by, by freeing us to see ourselves for who we, who we actually are. And to be honest about that before him and before others. If the law can no longer condemn us, then we can be honest about the fact that we, we haven't kept it and that we can't keep it. See, most of us want to want to hide our sin, don't we? You know, most of us want to, to put on this great facade of, I, I never do anything wrong. And, we hide, and behind this facade is, is a lot of guilt. And it's a lot of shame. That's a lot of, of brokenness for who we are as people. And we want to hide that from others. And really, we're trying to hide that from God. Yeah, that's exactly what Adam and Eve did, isn't it? That was their reaction at the fall, the, the first sin. What did they do? They went and they hid themselves. And tr- they tried to cover their nakedness. But the gospel actually, actually frees us to be honest about who we are. And we can be honest because in Christ we see a God who, who loved us enough to, to cover our sins in the blood of his son. To pay for the, our imperfections with a perfect spotless lamb who was slain. See, in Christ we see a God who, who loves us with the, the real and perfect love of a, of a father. See, he's a God who loved his people enough to, to promise salvation to Abraham so, so long ago and to give his one and only son to deliver on that promise. And this is why on Sunday when we gather, we can gather in, in one big group and we can, we can read publicly this, this confession of sin like we did earlier this afternoon. And we can, we can be before one another and, and most importantly before God, we can, we can be honest about, about our sin. See, those aren't empty words that we're reading, is it? But it is us as, as God's people coming together and boldly before him declaring that we're sinners in need of his grace. Knowing that we have received that grace through our Lord Jesus Christ fully and completely. And Paul says there's nothing we can do to add to that. And so come boldly before that throne of God's grace and let him know what a wretched sinner you are. Isn't that good news? Isn't that good news? Paul says, why would you, why would you want to believe anything else? You know, last week we heard him crying out to the, the Galatian church, you know, who has bewitched you? Foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? Why would you want to believe any other gospel? Why would you want to believe the law can free you when the law has only ever broken you? Folks, the, the promise fulfilled in Christ is, is freedom and it's life and it's hope. And Paul calls us today, just as he called the first century church so long ago, to receive the promise of salvation through faith. I know it sounds almost too easy, but the law actually says it's the only way. It may sound easy, but it's the only way. And that's the joy and wonder of the gospel. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you are a God who who does not allow us to, to remain in sin and misery 
and in brokenness. But that you're a, a God who, who throughout history is looking to redeem his people. And who's working in mighty ways to do that. And you have, have purchased us through the blood of your son, Christ Jesus. And that gives us incredible security and an incredible relationship to you. So as we go from here, Father, we pray that we would go growing in our confidence in Christ, seeing your great love for us in him, and that we would live our lives in obedience to you because you loved us and gave yourself for us. Go with us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's stand and, and respond to God's word by...